with us this morning. Why don't you take a look around and see who's around you and say hello. Good morning and welcome to Hopevale. Are we excited that we are at the end of August or are we kind of disappointed? 
I know there's kind of this mixed thing going on, right? I mean, some of us are like, oh man, summer's tired me out. I'm ready for a change in seasons. I don't know about you, but uh, I find myself in that very same place, right? It's been a great summer. Um, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but with four boys, I love the sports world. And so for the first time, our youngest graduated this past spring. So for the first time in over 15 plus years, I find myself not standing on the sidelines of a football field. And it's kind of this weird dynamic going on. But there's this thing about preseason, right? Like there's this hype, there's this buildup, there's this renewed vision and passion that every team gathers at this time of the year. And so next weekend kicks off college football, right? So I've got that to look forward to. I hope that as we think about the church world and we think about Hopevale, we think about the things that are coming up and what God has in store for us. And there's some exciting things happening here at Hopevale. And one of those things that happens uh, starting the Sunday after Labor Day as we shift to three services. So for those of you that like to sleep in, we're going to add the 1230 service back to the schedule on September the 11th, all right? So if you uh, need a little more rest from everything that's happened this summer, there's your opportunity, okay? And um, also, just to, if you, you came in this morning, you may have noticed a few changes in the lobby. I mentioned our staff is gearing up for this, this coming ministry year. And so as part of that, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes. But some of those things are more visible. And part of what's happening, for those of you that are in the ve- family venue and, and taking worship down there, um, we're going to be changing some things. So starting September 11th as well, the family venue will not be happening as it normally happens. You've seen some redesign out in the lobby. We've removed a couple of desks to kind of streamline. Those that have questions can go to what's going to be called the Connect, Grow, Serve desk. And uh, we're creating more soft seating for families and people with small children to be able to sit and enjoy the, uh, the message and the worship service as well in the lobby if they need to do that. So there's some changes happening. Those are exciting things that are coming our directions as we enter the fall. And uh, we hope that all of that is done just to provide better ministry and to facilitate more people coming to know Jesus and more people being able to be involved. What we've discovered in six-plus years of, of being in this location is that the need for space uh, is increasing. So we have uh, classroom issues. We want to allow more newcomers to be able to attend Get to Know Hopevale at the prime times of, of the morning. And so we're going to create some space by you know, not doing the family venue the way we have the last year or two. That's going to continue. We're going to see how God's going to continue to mold and build and shape this place that we call Hopevale, right? Another exciting thing every week we get to participate with the Lord in is our offering. So I want to invite our ushers to come forward at this time. And it's an incredible opportunity that we get to partner in what God's doing, both in us here and then through us as we go out and serve and work in our communities and around the world. So I want to take a moment and just pray for our offering this morning. If you'll join me, please. Father God, we thank you for renewed vision and renewed excitement, not just for a football season, not just for a new thing that's coming in the fall, but God, for you. And Father, we pray this morning that we would be seated here with anxious anticipation about what you have in store for us today as as we worship you through music, as we worship you through the message that Pastor Adam's going to bring in in a few minutes, but also through our giving, Lord. Father, we pray that this would honor you Father, we give back to you a portion of what you've blessed us with, and we ask that you would take that and that you would um, use it to impact and reach others in a powerful way for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all this in his name. Amen.
for the opportunity this morning to worship you. All of us come in here this morning with different burdens that we bear and we cast all of our cares and our worries on you because we know that you are able. We love you so much. Amen.
Good morning. It is great to be able to worship here uh, together this morning. We're so glad that you are with us as we continue this series in Heroes. And man, we just want a couple of incredible songs that the worship team uh, chose and and uh, did for us this morning. And just my hope and prayer that as we are gathered here this morning, that we would just be able to think about all the things that are going on in our lives on a daily basis. You know, as Pastor Steve mentioned, we're moving into the fall. There's a lot of change and uh, transitions coming up as kids go back to school and the fall hits and, you know, dare you say winter is coming and things like that. But uh, as we just think about all that and just everything that we have going on in our lives, I mean, this is an opportunity to come together corporately and just worship our God. And we look to him because he is there, he is present, and he wants to be actively involved in our lives. And so just as we open our hearts to him and just uh, are here together to hear what he has for us from his word, I'm just really looking forward to uh, this story that we're going to dive into together in a couple minutes. Uh, Before we do that, I I, uh, preached about Gideon earlier this summer, and one of the things that we talked about when we kicked that off was just a definition of a hero. And that was a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievement, or noble quality. And, you know, these are incredible biblical stories of heroes in the Bible uh, that display their faith in incredible ways, and God uses them uh, to do some amazing things to bring himself glory. There are also, you know, the occasional heroic story in society. And, you know, if you pay much attention, you get your news online and things like that, you know, you're, you're bound to come across some viral internet stories and sensations and heroic actions and things like that. And so just for fun, I don't know if you guys saw this one this week, uh, but it's a story that happened out of Texas. And there was a utility worker who was called in to fix a broken water pipe in this woman's front yard. And so this 23-year-old guy, Jimmy Cox, shows up and take a look at what he did to solve the problem. Like, that is heroic. I don't know how many people would do that. Apparently, in that world, they're like, yeah, this is no big deal. We do this all the time. But I think, I mean, the vast majority of people looked at that, and they're just like, that is insane. Like, I don't know how many people would want to do that or be willing to do that But Jimmy Cox did, and he stepped up, and he was a hero. Uh, And so the picture of him there, I mean, that's him just being inundated with all the news media who want to come and get his story. And just a pretty incredible picture about uh, a heroic action that that young man did and, and to gain that kind of attention. And in some ways, I think stories of heroes like that, I mean, it does force us to kind of look at ourselves and say, Maybe, maybe it's a situation like that or maybe just a situation in your own life. Like, what would I do when my circumstances call for a heroic action, to do something that is a little out of the ordinary, that's very courageous, that is uh, an outstanding achievement or whatever it is? And so as we dive into the story of Elijah this morning, uh, that's who we're going to be looking at, Elijah. And he was one of God's prophets during the reign of one of the worst kings uh, in Israel's history. And so as we talk about Elijah, I think it's important to establish a little bit of an understanding about the cultural uh, climate that he was in in that day. You know, Elijah lived in a day and age where God was forgotten. The king of Israel, King Ahab, he was the worst, most godless king that Israel ever had. 
Now, Ahab was king for 22 years, and the Bible says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him. And there had already been some pretty bad kings before him, and so this guy just, he takes the bar to the next level of uh, just the evilness that he did. He married Jezebel, who was a daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and Ahab began to serve and worship Baal. So he turned his back on the God of Israel to serve and worship Baal. And when he began to do that, the nation of Israel that he was the king over, they followed suit. They followed his lead and led them down uh, a, a very dark path. So Israel lost their way when they shifted their worship from the Lord to Baal. Now the people were living for themselves. They were doing evil things with absolutely no consideration for their creator. And these were very, very dark times for the Israelites. And so Elijah comes onto the scene, and as a prophet of God, he was put in place to be the Lord's messenger to the king and to all of those who were in uh, the kingdom of Israel uh, to show them the way back to God. Because they were in dark days. They needed somebody to step in and be able to encourage their hearts back to the Lord. Now, typically, you know, as we know a little bit about human nature, people's hearts don't just change overnight without getting a little wake-up call. You know, sometimes before people are ready to have their hearts changed, they have to hit rock bottom. And I mean, the, the cultural climate, climate that King Ahab allowed the Israelites to be in, this was pretty close to rock bottom. And so as part of God's wake-up call for the Israelites, Elijah had actually communicated to King Ahab from God that there was going to be a drought, that there would be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at the word of Elijah. Now, this message might not seem too intimidating, right? I mean, hey, no rain, what's the big deal? But the reality was that this drought was devastating to the people, to the land, to the livestock. It was a big deal, and it was enough to get Ahab's attention because Elijah was the Lord's prophet and the one who told Ahab that there was going to be a drought, he was a marked man. You know, Elijah lived in hiding because of this, because uh, he had a mark on his head. If he showed his face, he knew that he would be killed. Nobody in Israel wanted to do any, have anything to do with God, and Elijah represented God. This is really not a good situation for Elijah to be in. And so he's out in hiding because of it. Now, before we continue jumping into the story of Elijah, I just want to take a step back for a moment and just look at a little bit of the cultural climate of our day today, 2016. You know, if Elijah lived in a pluralistic society where there were many small-g gods that, was, uh, that were being worshipped, you know, we live in a very humanistic society today where each individual really is the, uh, their own ultimate authority. Those are the cultural messages that we get. It's things like, well, just follow your heart. Oh, you just got to do you. Be true to yourself, and on and on. Those are the messages that we are inundated with on a daily basis. According to the world, we are the masters of our own domain. And yet sometimes I wonder if we have to flip that on our head, and really the reality of it is we are the masters of our own demise when left uh, to our own decisions on our lives and what who we're going to follow, and how we're going to live. And so today, whether you feel really good about your present circumstances, or maybe you do feel like 
You're experiencing your demise in some ways. Now, this approach to life where you are your own ultimate authority and the world is your play- playground is a dead end. It really is. And maybe life this morning feels a little hopeless for you because you, you feel like you've lost your sense of control in your life. We are, we are creatures who, who love to have a sense of being in control. And sometimes along the way, our circumstances, it, it really does point out and remind us that we are not in control. And that's a scary place to be when, when things start to feel like they're spinning out of control. You know, maybe you feel like you're just very alone and confused after a relationship fell apart and you don't know what your next steps are. Maybe in some sense you're just out there running yourselves ragged, trying to provide your, for your family and do the absolute best that you can, but it just never seems like enough. Now, maybe you've been pursuing everything that you think will make you happy. You know, that mentality of you just got to be yourself and pursue what you feel like would make you happy, and it's just not working. So whatever your circumstances are, you know, first of all, there's, there's a recognition that these are incredibly difficult places to be. And it's my hope that God would use Elijah's story to encourage you, encourage all of us in our present circumstances. You know, the other side of that coin is the possibility that maybe this morning you can truly say that you, you love the Lord and you really want to be used by him to make a difference in the world today. Now, that does not mean that your life is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There are struggles and there are challenges that we all face. But just that you are truly trying to follow Jesus on a daily basis, that each and every day you're seeking to die to yourself and you want to make, uh, you want to make yourself available to God's work in the world around you. And if that's the case, that's awesome. And no matter where your heart is this morning, I really believe that Elijah's heroic faith this story has something for all of us. So this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18, start at verse 1 and then jump ahead to verses 17 through 40. And so you can follow along uh, in your Bible or uh, there's a Hopevale app and you can click on the Bible icon in that app and follow along there, take notes there. However you want to do that, it'll also be on the screens behind us. But verse 1, so we remember that Elijah had communicated to King Ahab that there was going to be a drought. And so the people were not in a very good place. And so verse 1, it says, After a long time, in the third year, speaking of the famine, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God said, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So after three years of this famine, God tells Elijah that it's time to go and present himself to Ahab. So Elijah has a choice here. I mean, remember, Ahab wants to kill him. So he can either lay low and continue to survive by being in hiding, or he can take a huge risk and go and see the king and trust that God is going to protect him, that God is going to have his back in that situation. And so at great personal risk, Elijah chooses to be obedient to the Lord and go and seek out King Ahab. And that's where we jump ahead to verse 17. So Elijah goes and seeks out Ahab, And he finds him, and it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. 
and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah was putting everything on the line here. You know, he asked King Ahab to assemble all of the Israelites who have been following in his footsteps to worship the Baals and his worst enemies in the world, all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah in one place. And it was going to be a place where he was vulnerable, he was out in the open, and there wasn't a whole lot of certainty as to what would happen next. And so Elijah's and ultimately God's purpose in this was to have a showdown where there would be an opportunity to win back the hearts of the people who had gone astray. So verse 20, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I really love the simplicity of Elijah's reasoning to the people here. You know, if the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. The choice is yours. And the reasoning really holds true today as well. Every person who has ever lived has this choice to make. And it's regarding just one question and two possibilities. And the question is, who is God? Who is God? In this world, who is God? Is it the God of the Bible, the living God of the Bible? Or is it all of the things that the world has to offer you? And that question in its simplicity is the most important question in the world. And it's one that we all need to answer for ourselves. And so in light of Elijah asking that question, it says that the people said nothing. They had no response. And you kind of have to wonder what their silence indicated You know, Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? And so there is this possibility, in my own words, that uh, the the opinions that they were wavering between was something like this. You know, on the one hand, maybe deep down, they know that they are God's chosen people. They have seen and heard God's goodness and faithfulness to them as a people. And maybe they've just been struggling with what it looks like to live for their God in a society that has fallen, uh, fallen away from God and chosen to serve and worship the Baals. Maybe they just really struggled with knowing and understanding what it would be like to serve and worship God in the midst of a culture that served false gods. And they'd just been too afraid and overpowered to take that stand for their God. So that's one possibility. You know, on the other hand, maybe they have been so persuaded by King Ahab and the prophets of Baal, that their way of life is better, that they thought something like this, like, you crazy old man, Elijah, you know, who are you to talk to us about your God? Now, you should be more tolerant of us wanting to live how we want. I mean, really, how narrow-minded can you be? You know, besides, look around. The God of Israel, he is so outdated. That, that is such ancient history. You know, we've really evolved past that. Look at, we're self-sufficient. We get to live however we want. You know, good luck trying to convince us that there's a better way to live or a better God to serve. So no matter what was going on inside the heads of the people, they said nothing in response to the question that Elijah posed to them. And so then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And I think it's kind of interesting that he took the time to point that out to them. 
I mean, it's almost like he's confirming what's potentially going through their minds, that this guy, Elijah, he is crazy outnumbered, and he does not stand a chance to walk away alive in this situation. And Elijah continues, verse 23, and he says, Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. So this really sets up quite the showdown, doesn't it? Now, whichever God answers by fire, he is God. So verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. That's quite, quite an interesting picture of what's taking place. You know, and to illustrate it, I, I thought about, you know, dancing around the stage and, and shouting and, you know, just imagining how foolish that would look. But I'm going to spare you from that. But in a sense, like, that's how ridiculous these Baals looked in that moment as they're shouting to their gods and dancing around the altar, and there's silence. There is no answer. Now, here's my favorite part of the story. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he says. Surely he is a god. You know, perhaps he's deep in thought or busy, which the literal translation of that means that he is relieving himself. Or to put it in today's terms, he's pooping. Like, that's the kind of trash talk that Elijah is giving here. He's like, or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. I mean, Elijah is laying the trash talk on pretty thick here. He is mocking the absence of Baal as they are dancing and screaming and shouting out to him. So verse 28, So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. You know, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered no one paid attention. Nothing happened. Now, here's the thing. The gods of this world are powerless. All the frantic dancing and shouting and passionate pursuit of an entity that is not God is completely empty and unsatisfying. So it's worth asking ourselves this morning, if there are any gods in your life right now that you are frantically pursuing with your blood, with your sweat, and with your tears that are leaving you unsatisfied and exhausted. You know, maybe it's the God of money or power or influence or sex or status or relationships or possessions or drugs or education or self. You know, the list of gods that this world has to offer is extensive and to whatever extent the things of this world consume you, it'll feel like there's no end in sight to their pursuit, no fulfillment along the way. 
It'll feel like there's no response, no answers, no one paying attention, just emptiness as you pursue those things. And I think that's how those prophets of Baal must have been feeling in that moment. You know, on the outside, it looked like they were on top of the food chain. You know, they were the prophets of Baal, the small g God that the Israelites turned their worship to until it all came crumbling down because Baal couldn't show up and send fire down from the sky when the proof of his existence was on the line. Baal was not there. And so that's a caution for us today as well. You know, if you are pursuing the gods of this world, whether your life currently feels great or miserable, this pursuit is empty because these are false gods. But that's also not the end of the story because after this display in futility, it's Elijah's turn. So we pick up in verse 30. And then Elijah said to the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas, or about 24 pounds of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now let's not forget here that they were in the middle of a three-year-long drought. You know, water would have been a premium product and certainly nothing to be wasted. Think about it. If Elijah's altar does start on fire, it could have potentially been explained away as a coincidence. You know, the doubters could have said something like, well, you know, after three years of rain, the wood and everything was so dry, you know, you could have stubbed your toe on that altar and started a fire, right? So after they dumped the four jars of water on the altar, Elijah says this. He says, do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down the altar and even filled that trench around it. See, Elijah is eliminating the possibility for human reasoning here. He's setting the stage for something that from our human perspective would be deemed impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. And so at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And so they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. See, the God of the Bible showed up and he destroyed his competition. It wasn't even close. You know, on the surface, Elijah and his God were huge underdogs in that situation. 
But Elijah risked everything to do what God had called him to do. You know, God was glorified, and the hearts of the people were turned back to the true God. And so for us, as we look at the story of Elijah, here is the heroic takeaway for us. That heroic faith points people to God. Heroic faith points people to God. Elijah put everything on the line there from the standpoint of his own personal safety to be obedient to God so that he could be his messenger to go and win back the hearts of the Israelite people. And hopefully here is where the rubber meets the road for us. Because as part of the big C church of Jesus Christ, we are called to point people to God, right? Life is not just about us in our own little worlds or even what happens here in this building on a Sunday morning. Now, this is all part of it. This is all part of our corporate worship of the Lord. But the rubber meets the road for us on the 24-7 daily basis out in the weeks as we walk through our regular lives and having our eyes open for the, uh, a broken and hurting world that is in need of the hope that Jesus Christ gives to us. And this story really illustrates the heartbreaking reality for people who have placed any false gods on the throne of their lives. You know, we simply can't let our lives uh, ignore the fact that there are hurting and broken people in a world that needs Jesus. And so as believers in the true God, we are called to imitate Elijah's approach to letting God use us to shine a light in this dark world. You know, Elijah's approach in this looked like this. He started by calling them close. You know, he said, come here to me. And it really is, it's such a welcoming invitation that he extends to the people who had turned their back on God. You know, it's, it's as though he knows in that situation that they are beat up, they're broken down, and they need God because the pursuit of their lives up until that moment, it was leaving them empty without meaning. And also, as Elijah called them close, you know, there's no judgment in that. There's no lecture that he gives them. It's not like he stands back and says, okay, now I'm going to take a moment to give you a little lecture about how foolish it was for you to turn your back on the Lord and follow the bales, and how could you do that? And he doesn't do that at all. He just calls them close. He does not judge them in that moment. And he says, let me show you, let me show you how great and awesome and forgiving our God is and how much, like how, the extent to which he has gone to pursue you to win your hearts back to him. The next thing he does is that he reminds them of their name. You know, as Elijah rebuilds the altar, he reminds them of when God first called them to himself when he said, your name shall be Israel. And the name Israel has a joint meaning here. It means he wrestles with God and that God will prevail. And that goes back to the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord, and that's where the name came from. But in a sense, you apply it here to this situation as well. And the Israelite people, they had been wrestling with God. They had been wavering between those two opinions as to who they were going to serve and worship with their lives. And so they had been wrestling with God, but God is going to prevail because God is going to show up and win their hearts back to him. 
And so I love that Elijah reminds them of their name. He reminds them of who they are. And it also, it's a reminder that this relationship isn't going to be perfect, but that God is always there for his people. And so as Elijah gathers the stones of the altar and reminds them of their name, it's almost as though this altar is symbolic of their lives. You know, they have been torn down. They've been scattered apart. And so what was once beautiful and meaningful is left scattered and broken and desolate and without meaning. And so symbolically, he puts it back together, reminds them of who they are. You know, it's as though he's showing them that God is not done with them yet, that God is gathering them to himself and rebuilding their lives and still has a purpose for them. I think that's a good reminder for us that if there are times in our lives where we just feel broken down and scattered about and we feel lost and broken and empty, God is not done with you. And what Elijah is doing here is the same thing that he's calling us to do for a broken world that is out there, to not judge it, to call them close and to say, you know, God, God is not done in this situation. Rebuild them, regather them, and point their hearts to God. You know, each and every person, no matter what path they have gone down, is still a son or daughter of God who he loves and who he has a purpose for. And the hope that we have in Christ can rebuild your life no matter how broken or how scattered it feels right now. And that's the third thing that Elijah does then. He points their heart back to God. He draws them close. He reminds them of who they are. And then he just gives the rest over the Lord. Because the work of changing hearts is not ours. The work of changing hearts is the Lord's. And so he, Elijah prayed for them, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Changing hearts is God's work. But as his servants, we can play a role in the preparation of those hearts. You know, Elijah made himself available as God's spokesperson to his people. And so I wonder for us, you know, where and how has God placed you in your life to come in contact with people who are broken and hurting? And what is your role in that? What does that look like for us to have our eyes and ears open for people who are pursuing the things of the world and they're going down a path that is a dead end? And what gentle ways and opportunities do we have to step in and give a gentle invitation to them so that their hearts can be turned back to God. And also love that Elijah, I mean, he prayed for them in that moment. And I think that's a good reminder for us as well, to be in prayer for people that we know who need God today. These three things, you know, this um, calling them close, reminding them of their name, and pointing their hearts to God, now this is a picture of our calling as a church. You know, to gently invite people to know and follow Jesus so that God can do the seemingly impossible work in their lives of rebuilding them and giving them meaning and purpose. So as we begin to wrap up today, I get, I get very excited about the ways that God is at work in and through this gathering of people that we call Hopevale. Uh, God is doing some incredible things. You know, and my hope is that we never sit back and feel comfortable or as though our work is done, or as though other people are going to be the ones who go out 
and, and represent to the Lord, the Lord to a lost, hurting, and broken world. And I hope that we can, we can grow in our pursuit of God in those ways because a hero points people's hearts back to God. And so today, for some of you, maybe this message was a nudge for you to leave behind some of your pursuits of false gods in your life and to pursue Jesus on a deeper level. You know, that is the call. That is the invitation to you. And then for others, maybe it was a reminder that heroic faith does point people's hearts back to God. And you've got a family member or a friend who God is just laying on your heart right now uh, to, to have a conversation with them this week, to encourage their hearts in the midst of whatever it is they're going through. And so hopefully for all of us, you know, this is an awesome reminder of the incredible power of our God. So let's pay attention to those opportunities that God has placed in our paths and live out our faith in a bold way so that others could see and respond to God's work of changing hearts and lives, all for his glory, because he is the one and only true God. And he showed up and he proved it then, and he can continue and does continue to show up and prove it even today. And it should be very encouraging to us to remember that we serve the God who showed up. We serve the God who is there and will continue to be there for us. And so again, it's just been, it's awesome to come together and worship his name corporately today. And uh, I'm just going to close this in prayer as we give all of this to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this morning, God. We thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. God, we love you and we are, we're grateful for this series and for the truths that it communicates to us. Lord, Elijah did incredible things in your name. He was extremely bold in his faith and he stepped up and demonstrated that in ways that brought you glory in incredible ways and ministered to a lost and hurting and broken nation. And Lord, there are a lot of similarities between their story then and our story today. And God, you continue to be on the throne. You continue to be in control. And so we just give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve, God. And we just, we lay our hearts and our lives before you, God, and we just give it to you. We, we want to take a moment to evaluate if we have any false gods in our lives that we need to give up so that we can more passionately pursue you, Lord. And God, we just give ourselves to you so that you can do great and awesome things in us and through us, in your name, so that this world could know that you are God. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
a great promise and reminder to us that God is faithful and he works all things together for our good. Amen. Amen. Uh, It's been great to worship together this morning and uh, next week we're actually going to kind of take a pause on the Heroes series. We're going to have an extended time of worship and celebrate communion together and so we hope that we will see you next week. So God bless as you go. Have a great week.